not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. And I'm going to stop right there. So I was given the opportunity to kind of lead things off this morning. And uh, I was uh, trying to prepare for this. And to be honest, I read verse 1. And I was a little confused. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, what is he talking about? So I did a little research. You know, it's always good when you're confused to get to do a little research. And um, I looked at some different commentaries. And what, what some believe the psalmist was referring to is if you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, they had gone through repeated cycles of conquest and exile. And that was partially because of their sin. So some people believe the psalmist may be referring to either the uh, Syrian capture and exile of the people or the Babylonian exile. And these happened around 720 B.C. and 597 B.C. respectively. Now, whatever the specifics are, it's very clear from this verse that the Israelites have been in a place where they needed to be restored. Their fortunes had to be restored. The land that they lived in was not in favor, so it had to be given favor by God. And, you know, I think we all can relate to that, right? We can all relate to portions of our lives where we feel like, God, we need some intervention. You need to restore me to a place where I once was. You need to, put, you need to grant favor on my life. And I think it's, a, you know, so I think that's the first thing about revival is like, this is something that's real. This is something that occurs all the time. And specifically in this point, I want to look at verse 2 and verse 3. It talks about how God, you know, that first step of revival is to understand that God forgives us. You know, it says he forgave the iniquity of the, of the people and he covered all their sins. He set aside his wrath. And, you know, I, to me, we still serve that same God. This, this description was written, you know, hundreds of years ago, but we still serve the same God today. He forgives our sin. He's patient with us. He gives us chances to change and grow and repent. And he does not punish us for the sins that we deserve. I think the first step if you're going to have a revival is you have to be reminded who God is. And uh, I want to turn, oh, you can turn with me really quickly to Exodus 34. I just want to share this scripture because I think it's, it's, it was so cool to see how God even describes himself. In Exodus uh, chapter 34, the background of this uh, chapter is Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's having a you know, one-on-one session with God. And, and I, I'm sure Moses was a little scared. I mean, you know, God... God, you're in his presence, you hear that voice, I know I won't be scared. And uh, in verse 5, I'll pick it up, God introduces himself to Moses and describes his nature. And it says, the Lord, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And I'll stop right there. So God is introducing himself 
And you know, God could have said a lot of things. He could have been like, I'm the almighty, I'm the strong, powerful, I'm undefeated. He's like, no. He's like, I'm compassionate. I love you. I'm faithful to you. I forgive you. And he wanted Moses to know that because Moses, you know, he, he was in need of a revival of his own. You know, Moses had this great opportunity and this great, you know, trial to lead these people. And I'm sure Moses needs to be reminded, hey, this is the God I serve, right? But we all have to remember God if we're going to go through a revival. We all have to have a, a true vision of who he is. You know, I remember the first time I feel like God revived my life. You know, I was a, I was a, I just graduated from college, actually. I was 20 years old. I know uh, you probably think that was yesterday, but no, it was a long time ago. And um, I remember that whole year I was, I, I had been offered a position to uh, work in the ministry. So I was like, oh, I'm sad. I got a job ready to go. I just got to get this diploma. I'm good, right? So I get the diploma, and as soon as I left the campus, I started having like some postpartum, you know, depression. I was like, can I just go back to school? Like, what's, this is the real world. What's going on here? So I'm depressed. And I found out they couldn't hire me right away, so I had to wait a month. I'm like, okay, I have no job now. I have no job. I had a place to live. That fell through. I had no place to live. I was just like, wow, okay, this is kind of scary. Then I, then I, you know, I, I thought I had met a special uh, sister in my life. I thought, okay, let's see what you're doing over here, okay. I'm graduating now, we're gonna, you know, God, you just worked this out. Went away for a little vacation, came back, she was dating some other guy. I went, what happened? That was, I thought we were, that was me. So I, just to be honest, I mean, just be honest. I mean, I, I was, I, I needed some revival. I was like, I don't know what happened. I served you for three years. I've done all these great things for you. I'm homeless. I got no job. I got no girl. I don't know what's going on. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that opportunity, though, because I was able to see my need for God. I need to see who God really was. God's not some genie up there that's going to grant me the wishes that I desire. God wants me to serve Him just on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. That's that. That should be enough for me. And, and when I learned that lesson, I had a great mentor in my life, uh, Ken Zendler, who really helped me to see that if I looked at God and I, I've always remembered who God was truly, I would never have an issue with my faith. I would never have to be worried about how I was going to be taken care of. Eventually, I got a job. I got a place to live. God is always there. He's faithful for us. And I needed that because then I was revived. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about this scripture is it says that in verse 4... It says, restore us again. Which leads me to my second point. We always need to be revived. We always need to be revived. This is going to be a continual process in our lives. Verse 4 says, restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. We should not expect as Christians one moment of restoration or one moment of, of revival. If you look at the history of the Israelites, they constantly needed to be reminded and be rescued because of their sin. And you're no better than they are. I'm no better than they are, right? We're all sinners, right? So I was encouraged because sometimes I, feel, I think we have a negative perception of revival. It's like, man, we're going to go through a revival again? It's like, yes, you do. Because we all do, right? You know, it's interesting, I was looking at the time frame, I moved to L.A. about 17 years ago, 
almost to this day, maybe a couple months after t- uh, today's day. And that was, I was in need of revival again. You know, my, one of my mentors had moved out to LA and I was working for a company in Boston and I came out here for a business trip and he's like, you can stay with me. And he was convincing me like, oh, bro, you need to come out here. Man, it's gonna be awesome. They got 80 degree weather every day. I was like, that's good, that is good. <laughs> we got the beaches, you know, I had a convertible at the time. So I'm like, that's really good actually. But he was like, yeah, you're going to love it, and, you know. And, but to be honest, I was in need of revival. You know, I had, I had, I had hit a wall spiritually, and um, I really didn't know where I was going to go. I went from, you know, being this guy that was going to be in the ministry to just, can you just come to church? Can you just please just come to church? And I was just like, I'm, I'm just going to try to come to church. It's cool. I, my faith was really, I was, I was lost. And I came out here, didn't even know anyone. And uh, I'm glad Nate Johnson and his household let me stay in there at their house for a couple months, even though they put me in the attic. I'm not bitter, though. That was messed up. But, you know, it was, I got to take what I can get. So I came out here, and um, I did not really know anyone, but the minister at the time invited me. He, he was actually sitting here to revive this very church. So he's, he's like, we're in the midst of a revival. I'm like, I'm in the midst of a vacation. I'm not coming here to revive. <laughs> I came out here to, to escape, you know? I'm trying to enjoy life here. And he's like, no, you know, actually, we, we, need, to, we need you to help. And I remember that meeting, it was over Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. I had never been to Roscoe's, so I was like, amen, this is awesome. And, uh, but he challenged me. He said, you know, you've been giving too much. You can't sit on the sideline. You have to be an active part of this revival. And I, I thought about that. I was like, man, you're right. Can I just finish this over real quick? This waffle? Don't need to make any decisions. And so he asked me at that point, he's like, I need you to help out in our singles ministry. I need you to assist in, in one of our small groups. And I said, okay. You know, God, God has given me too much. God has invested too much into my life to let me sit on the sideline. And so you have to be, you have to be honest with yourself. If you need a revival, you can't, you can't ignore that. It's okay. You're going to continue to need a revival. I promise you, this will not be the last revival that I speak about. Not for myself or for you, because we're going to continually need that. That's the way we are. And that leads me to my final point. You know, the key to having a, a good revival is you need to see God's love again. You know, verse 7, it says, show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. You know, God's love is the key. We have to be able to see it. We have to be able to feel it if we're going to revive ourselves spiritually. You know, I'm reminded by a lot of different scriptures, and I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to reference these scriptures. Nehemiah 9, chapter 9, verse 17 to 21. God tells us that He protects us, He provides for us, even when we're ungrateful, even when we're unfaithful. He promises us His Spirit. To instruct us and guide us. John chapter 14 verse 21 to 23. It says God loves us when we are obedient to his son Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. God gave us Jesus and his example of selflessness as a demonstration for his love for us. So when you're going through revival, you have to honestly think about what does God love? What does it mean to you? That's got to be the power. That's got to be what's going to help us get through that revival and start that process. And, you know, the great thing about a revival is, you know, for me, when I needed to be revived, I had to go back to my core convictions. 
You know, the things that I signed up for when I became a Christian. We all know those things. But you have to decide for yourself. I can't tell you what those are for you. You know, Marty can. Reese can. And, and, and to be honest, it doesn't require them. All it requires is one man or one woman who's willing to take a stand and just say enough is enough. I got to change. You know, revival will happen when, when an individual holds a core belief that is so resolute, so unswerving that it catches the attention of God and the people around him. Or her around him. Or around her, I should say. And then what happens is a group is inspired. And then another group is inspired. And then the church collectively is revived. That's really what revival is about. So hopefully this has been helpful. But I want to challenge you, encourage you, church, to revive with me. Let's, let's make a decision to go back to those core beliefs. Let's make a decision to remember God's love in our lives. And let's show him what revival really looks like. Thank you. A little shorter. Um, I'm I'm Dave Lim, and as uh, Marty mentioned, I'm an engineer. I don't speak for a living, and it's not a stretch to say that I hardly speak at work. But, but here I am. Um, I, I was baptized on December the 30th in 1986. I was a freshman in college. Um, I think it's fair to say that I didn't know a whole lot back then. We had no Google back then. Uh, but I, I knew enough to understand that Jesus is Lord. That he died for my sins. And that I wanted to follow him. And I've had my ups and downs since that time, but by the grace of God, I'm still here and still trying to fight the good fight. Uh, just this past week, my wife, Yvonne, and I dropped off our older daughter, Becca, in San Diego as uh, she's starting her freshman year in college. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how to process all that, but I know I'm a little emotional about that. And I think that definitely means I'm getting a little older. Um, but I'm thankful that our younger daughter Ellie is still here with us somewhere. Uh, <laughs> um, I've told both of them to slow down many times, but I, I don't think they're paying attention. Um, so to continue with our uh, theme scripture, I'm going to read in Psalm 85. This is verse 8 and 9. It says... I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. That his glory may dwell in our land. So in this psalm of prayer to God to restore us, to show us your unfailing love and to grant us your salvation in this collective prayer, this us prayer to revive us again. In verse 8, all of a sudden, 
we hear a singular voice. It's the prayer or reflection of one individual. It's almost as though you had a choir um, up to this point, and then all of a sudden the stage goes dark, and the light shines on just one person. And it's just that one person who sings this verse. And what does that person say? You can say that. I'll listen to what God the Lord will say. Of all the things that could be said as we ask God to revive us, this person, the scripture, just says, I'll listen to what God the Lord says. We could say, I'll work harder, God. I'll, I'll do more. I'll persevere, which all these things are good things. But of all the things that could be said, the scripture just simply says, I will listen to the Lord. So how are we doing in listening to God today? Are we close to God? Are we close to his word? Are we seeking him? Revival requires a decision to listen. We need to decide to settle down, clear our minds, and pay attention to what God says. This decision to listen, it's an individual decision. It starts with me. In the privacy of me saying, I'll listen to the Lord. Revival starts with me. M-E. It's me Bible. I I borrowed that from my daughter, by the way. (laughs) No one can make this decision for me. If you're a teacher or a coach or a parent, you already know this. Right? You can tell your class or your kids, listen! But it's up to them to decide to listen. They might hear you, but listening, that's, that's, it, I mean, that requires wanting to pay attention. That requires willingness. We became Christians not because someone forced us to listen, but because we made that decision to listen to God and to turn our lives to Him. So what comes in the way of listening to God now? What, what prevents us from really paying attention to Him? Why do we even need revival? Marlon already talked about this. Why do we even need this? Well, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Please turn with me to Hebrews 3, verse 15. I forgot to turn on my timer. Um, Hebrews 3.15 says, As has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The problem is our hearts get hard. And when our hearts get hard, we might hear, 
but we don't listen. We hear, but we don't respond. Can I just take a minute to identify what things can harden our hearts? Can I, can I get like audience participation on this one? What, what words come to mind as things that harden our hearts? Yes. Okay, you're deceived that you're, you're working for God, but you're not. Yeah. Right? Sin. That's a big one. Yes. Broken trust. Broken trust. That's a good one, too. Bianca. Pride. Yes. Disappointing, disappointment in life. Grief. I heard laziness. We're really experienced in this. Apathy. Yes, apathy. Yeah, I, I thought I had a long list, but you guys uh, taught me. Um, but can I spend a few minutes on each of these? Pride. I think this is a big one, and I think it's a, it's a bigger one as we get older. We think we already know everything. We've been there, we've done that, we've heard it all. So we stop paying attention to God's Word. And we stop listening to people in our lives. We actually don't have people in our lives because we, we don't think we need any more input. Resentment. We carry unresolved hurt that faster. There's not a person in this room that has not been hurt by other people's actions and words. If you're married for more than a week, you know this is true. As Carlos, it's, it's true. It's hard for me to be soft-hearted when I have unresolved conflicts with my wife. How about cynicism? We don't believe in the goodness of the Christians. We, we judge their motives in a negative way. Complacency. We're satisfied. And we no longer desire to learn and grow. We go through the motions without engaging. We stop sacrificing our time and energy to help other people. We are spiritually lazy. How about misplaced priorities? Our heart is crowded because we're trying to serve two masters at the same time. We no longer seek the kingdom first. Somebody already said disappointment. We've tried, but life hasn't turned out the way that we're hoping for. Could be relationships, could be career, could be health issues, could be our family. We experience disappointment and grief. How about fatigue? Nobody said fatigue. Sometimes we're just tired and we don't want to listen. Maybe we've given and given and no one seemed to respond. Or worse, people start blaming you for not meeting their expectations. We're tired. What are some things that soften our hearts so we can listen to God? I'm just going to read this off because I think I'm probably running out of time. Um, I wrote down some things here. What are some things that soften our hearts so we can listen to God? One, being open. Being open about our sins, our struggles, and being open about our life with people in our lives. Resolving conflicts. Talking to the person who hurt you. Working through the conflict. Deciding to forgive, knowing that we've been forgiven. 
and getting help to get conflict resolved. Getting advice. That's just an act of humility, so it helps to keep our hearts soft. Prayer. Asking God to help us, to guide us, to show us what we need to do. About being in nature. Just getting away and being in awe of God's creation. That softens our hearts. And lastly, making time for God. You know, all our lofty intentions don't mean anything if we're too busy to make time for God. And it's not a matter of whether we're too busy. It's a matter of making time. I'm going to wrap up my time with three takeaways. Can I do that? I have three R's. That's sort of an engineer thing to do, I think. Uh, I've already done two. First one is resolve to listen to God. It's me Bible. Number two is remove the obstacles from our heart. The scripture just simply warns us not to harden our hearts. And the last R is to remember God's promises. And I'm going to finish up by reading the rest of verse 8 and 9. It says, he promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. God promises us to give peace, to give us peace. He wants to give us peace that transcends understanding. I know I was drawn to this peace when I became a disciple and I need it more today. My daughter's living on her own. He, he wants to give us salvation. God takes no pleasure in condemning anyone. He wants to save us. That's why He sent us His Son. So let's resolve to listen to God, remove the obstacles, and remember that our God is good, and remember His promises as we ask God to revive us. Thank you for listening. All right, so uh, I was talking to my wife this morning. Oh, my name is Mike Steffen. I'm uh, an ER physician, and uh, my wife and I help lead a small group and here at the church. And so I was talking to Christy this morning because I thought to myself, I should run this by somebody. So I ran a buyer. And uh, as always, Christy has some good advice. And uh, the one thing she said was, Mike, you need to think about why you were uniquely chosen to do this. Like, what is it about you that God wants to use? And I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'll be me. <laughs> so here's me being me. It's pretty awesome. I kind of love it because Marlon gets up here. He's dressed in a tie. He looks awesome. He looks super sharp. Dave gets up here. He's a little less sharp than Marlon, you know, with his long, but he has a long sleeve shirt. It's tucked in. He looks good. I'm like, hey. <laughs> go. So I'm not sure if I'm bringing this down or bringing this up. We'll find out in a minute. So I'm here to talk about Psalm 85, verse 10 through 13. We can get that up there. It says, by the way, uh, Marlon and Dave did an awesome job. I feel like I can leave now and be inspired. It's so good for me to remember that, okay, I'm not so lame that because I keep messing up, God wants me to constantly revive. I need to remember that. And I also really want to remember God's promises because that's what sustains me when I'm messing up. 
So it's really good, actually. Some of that relates to this whole thing. It was pretty awesome. Psalm 85 says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before Him and prepares the way for His steps. Like Marlon, when I said, Love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss each other, I thought, okay. I think I might be able to talk about that. I kind of like the poetic nature of it, but look at verse 11. It says, Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. I thought about this for a minute. I thought, who's on the earth? Us. Thanks, Tom. So that's where faithfulness comes from. It comes from the earth. And who's in heaven? God. That's where righteousness exists. The goal is to try to attain that righteousness for us being here on the earth. And where does that start? Faithfulness. I think revival begins with our faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6 and 7, we'll go there, it talks about faith. And many of us know this. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. thought about that. It was kind of awesome. Marlon was preaching. We, we sort of knew what we were going to talk about, but not completely. And Mar- Marlon talked about how you just need to remember God. You need to remember who God is. And that's where faith begins. It begins with us remembering who God is. And so, there's a, something I like. It's actually a conversation I had yesterday with this guy. I work in the emergency department, and I work in an ER that's pretty crazy, pretty, you know, it's kind of a crazy department, and we're underserved, under-resourced, blah, blah, blah. And we're always looking for the right solution. We're always trying to figure it out. So we had this nurse who came and worked with us, and then he went, went away, and I saw him yesterday at a different department. And I said, hey, what's the problem with where I work? What do you think the solution is? And he goes, he brings up something called Occam's Razor. Basically, I know, I'm like, okay, Occam's Razor, thanks. But no, Occam's Razor, it's usually the simplest solution is what works. So when we're reviving ourselves, it's usually the simplest solution. I think God lives in simplicity. It's our faith. So just think about this. It's not like, oh yeah, faith, God of Mike, I need to be faithful. But just remember, it's our faith where this begins. So, when you have faith, it's kind of, what do you do next? Well, here it says, it's, uh, look in James 2, verse 21, it says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac? You see that faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Our faith is awesome, right? So it takes faith, right? Someone says, hey, we all want to go to church, right? So Marlon, actually, I think it was Marlon, who said, I was just at a point where I just needed to get to church. And then it's interesting, we have these shared commitments that we talked about recently. And what was the first one? Get to church. What was the second one? Like, be together in a small group. Like, meet with people who are like you, and you can get to know and develop relationships. And what was the third one? The third one was, get together with another person on a regular basis so you can be open. Because what Dave just said is the way we prevent our hearts from getting hard is by being open. So pretty simple stuff. Right? It's not like deep theological stuff here. And yet, it's kind of hard. Let's just be honest. 
I mean, real life God's way. So Christy said, share about something about you, Mike. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I actually sit there and I go, when I heard those three things, I, th- I said, oh, I can do that. I said, but it's going to be kind of hard. So we actually had a, a meeting with our little small group, or a couple of some men that I meet with. And I said, okay, so for you, which one of these is going to be hard? I just assumed it's going to be hard for everybody. Although I get the impression when I look at people that doesn't seem hard. But I just assumed it was. I figured it's hard for me. It must be hard for you. And uh, for me, the very thing which is most difficult for me with those commitments is getting together one-on-one with somebody. And yet, the very thing which I get the most out of is getting together one-on-one with somebody. I mean, I love church. I love the singing. I love being here with all you people. I love it. I think it's awesome. I like the small group. I think it's great. But for me personally, it's the one-on-one connection that really matters. For you, it may be something different. And what I want you to think about is where does your faith, where are you going to be challenged? Because that's the part you need to look at. Which part is hard for you? In our group, it was all over the map, what was difficult. And that's, that's the cool thing about life. You just have to figure out what's hard for you. You know, I could look at Christy, like, I'm going to use her as an example. My kids are tired of me using them as examples, so I'll use Christy as an example today. She, you know, she loves going to church. She loves being around people. She just loves it. She's just into it. I'm like, honey, we don't really have to go this early. No, Mike, we do. Right? I mean, she totally digs it. But that's easy for her. Right? So for me, it's just it, it's what's for you. So I want you to think about that, not just in the context of these three things, although that's where I would start, but I want you to think about those things with just in life. And the cool thing about this is, Raphael talked about this, is that this is a fellowship. So we get to be around people who, they don't struggle where I struggle, and they don't struggle, you know, not, and the opposite is true. So I want you guys to be thinking about that because you can't sit there and say, well, hey, I have no problem getting together with people. I'm not like you, Mike. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, I know you're not like me. That's good. If we're all the same. That'd be kind of a bummer, right? But that's good. But I want you to be thinking about what matters to you, how you can grow in your faith, how you can develop in your faith. When you go, I want you to go back to the verse, if we could, Dave. The next part of the verse, it says, The Lord will indeed give us what is good, and our land will yield its righteousness. Righteousness goes before Him and prepares the way for His steps. Faithfulness will lead to righteousness. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. I, I, so I asked Chrissy today. I'm sorry, I'm kind of over the map a little bit. But I asked Chrissy. So Chrissy, does this make sense? If you're faithful, that leads to action. That makes sense, right? Let's talk about that. And if you're, act, if you're doing something and you're being faithful in your action, that leads to righteousness. That's what I just said about Abraham. That that leads you to righteousness. And then I was thinking, and the righteousness is what leads to impact. It's when we're acting in a righteous way, we'll be impactful. But it all begins with faith. So if you want, I don't know, think of something you really desire in your life. I mean, for us who are parents, we want our kids to know God. Right? You really want to impact your kids? Be faithful. I know it sounds simple, but I'm a simple way of thinking. Right? If you really want to impact someone else, be faithful. And then take action. And then allow that action to turn into righteousness. And then allow that righteousness will have an impact. The first impact it will have is on you. 
you will be impacted, which will be awesome, because that's what we all want. When we're at a point of despair, when we're in the pit, we want to change. We want impact. And then we'll have impact on other people. Now, I love it, actually, as we're going through this, uh, Marlon talked about, as a people, we need to repent. As a people, we need to change. And then he talked about the individual decisions you make. Dave talked about how it's individual, how it's I need to listen, how it's a me revival, right? And I think that's the beauty of how God set it up. God set it up so that we can take these things personally, that we need to. And He also set it up so that we're surrounded by other people who want to do the same thing. And it's awesome, because that's going to help me. So I have a story I want to share with you. It's about someone who we're going to remember, remember later on today, Tommy Johnson. And uh, I was thinking about this story because I thought, wow, this is uh, kind of hits what I was talking, what I've been thinking about. So Tommy, as most of you know, and some of you who don't, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And Tommy made the decision, uh, he had been diagnosed with cancer before, and he, and he was diagnosed again. He made the decision not to get chemotherapy. He made the decision not to go that route and to go the more holistic route was the decision he made. So, you know, I'm a doctor, right? So people talk to me about their medical problems on occasion. And uh, so I'm talking to Tommy, and uh, Tommy's saying, yeah, I've been looking into this food and how that affects your body, and I've been looking into these things and kind of going on and on. And uh, the other thing which I do, so Marty loves to golf. I love to surf. I think about surfing all the time. And I have a friend who loves to surf. His name is Rod Scott. Rod's a landscaper, but Rod is probably the biggest nutrition guy you could ever meet. As he said to me once, ever since college, I've been searching for the perfect diet. Wow. I've just been looking to eat. But nevertheless, so Rod is really into this stuff. And I go, you know, Tommy's talking to me about this. And I'm thinking, you know, Rod is talking to me about that every week when he goes surfing. He's talking to me about being a vegan and all this other sort of stuff. And I'm like, I know I need to eat better. But he's talking about this. I said, I got to connect Tommy and Rod. Now the thing is, Tommy and Rod, they've known each other probably ever since Rod's been a Christian. But they've never really connected. So I said, hey, Tommy, you know what? You really got to talk to Rod because he knows all about this stuff. And I said, hey, Rod, you know, you really got to talk to Tommy because he really needs your help. So what happened? So Tommy and Rod talk. And then for probably about a year, maybe eight months, Tommy Johnson spent one night a week having a meal at Rod Scott's house. And Rod taught him about how to make this particular kind of food. And there's this green juice that they used to drink that Tommy totally loved. And, you know, and, and it really impacted Tommy. And Tommy actually, to be quite honest with you, he survived for quite a while after the diagnosis of cancer. And I actually believe that, even though I don't necessarily practice this, I think that had an impact. I think it had an impact on Tommy, Rod's influence. So that's one thing you could look at and go, that's awesome. That shows the impact of the church. But let me tell you where the biggest impact occurred. The biggest impact occurred on Rod and Shu and Caleb and Penelope. The biggest impact occurred because I would listen to these stories about how Tommy was impacting them at dinner. I was talking to Rod this morning and Rod goes, yeah, I just remember one night we were having dinner and we were talking and he saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of our family. Because you know, if you're going over once a week, it's kind of hard to hide it after about the 
second week, it's kind of hard. You can hide it for a week, maybe two, but after a while, family's family. So they became family. And uh, at one point, Tommy stopped, pulled out his Bible, started reading a song, and was really trying to help out his kids, Caleb and Penelope. And Rod goes, you know, we've been talking, they're, they're just getting out of their teenage years, they're young adults now. He goes, we could say something for them for years. And then Tommy just says it and has an impact. I mean, Penelope was taking notes. I mean, that's what he said. He goes, he had an impact. And Tommy was completely impacting this family. And Rod would go, he's, he's, Rod's away this weekend, but he would come to tears thinking about the impact that was, Tommy was having on his kids. Tommy, you know, you'll get to know Tommy more at 2 o'clock, I guess, but he had deep, strong convictions, and he, he would, wouldn't mind sharing them with you if you asked. He had to ask sometimes, but he wouldn't mind sharing if he asked. And so then, so here's the final part of that story. So I'm sitting here at church, and I've sort of watched this over a while, and it's, I'm like, wow, that's pretty awesome, you know, that what's going on here. And uh, so then it was right over there in the back, this is the last conversation I had with Tommy before he got real sick. And uh, so I'm in church, and I was thinking to myself, okay, I need to repent, I need to revive, I need to be different. When I'm in church, I don't necessarily, uh, I'm sorry, full disclosure, I don't always feel like talking to people, even though I should, right, I get it. So I have to, you know... Do that? I'm like, I should talk to Tommy. In fact, you know what I should do to Tommy? I should share him about the impact that he's had in Rod's family. Now, he probably knows, but I need to tell him. Because Rod is pretty quiet. Rod may not share that. And I said, i got to tell him. So I said, hey, Tommy, let me tell you something. And then I shared about the impact he's having. And he looks at me and he goes, wow. I didn't know if I was having any impact. He didn't know if he was having any impact. And yet this man was completely changing these people's lives. He was having an impact. As a congregation, we need to have impact in each other's lives. When we strive for righteousness, and I will be honest with you, from what I know, and others could share more, Tommy had to go through his own revivals. Rod had to go through his own revivals. But there was impact. So what I'd really like to encourage you here today is consider this. It begins with faith. Don't, don't minimize the importance of faith. Don't minimize the, how difficult faith can be in action. But you just have to make a decision. I'll be honest with you. Every day I'm deciding I need to be different than who I am. I came up here and I said, yeah, we all need to be ourselves, uniquely qualified, whatever we're uniquely supposed to do. So be who you are. But remember this. You can be who someone else is as well. They can have impact on you. Like for me, I need to be different. And I look at other people and I go, okay. I don't get it, but I'm going to do it because I see Tom doing it. Okay, I don't get it, but I'm going to do it because I see my daughter doing it. And I'm just going to trust God that they're doing what's right, so I'm going to try to do the same thing. So I really encourage you guys, remember, put your faith in action. This revival will only work if individually we each decide to have faith. Final scripture. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Ultimately, it gets down to Jesus. Ultimately, that's where our faith begins. Ultimately, what our goal is, what my goal is, and hopefully it's your goal, is that I want to run this race with perseverance. I want to run the race marked out for me. You need to run the race marked out for you. Together, we will run the race marked out for us. So together, we will be, like Tommy, being able to have an impact our entire lives. Thank you.